Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Pastor Joel Schmigel. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. 1863, that at the height of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln made a declaration. He made the Emancipation Proclamation, and it was a declaration that set three million slaves free. But it wasn't over, it it wasn't until over two years later that African Americans in Texas actually heard this word. It took Union soldiers marching into Galveston, Texas, and on June 19, 1865, they made this declaration, and a party started. And the celebration began for freedom. And what a celebration looked like in that season? It was a prayer meeting. It was like Thursday night. And so they prayer meeting and spiritual songs and dance. And you put on your dance shoes, you put on your Sunday best. And so June 19th, or as we know it, Juneteenth, began a celebration. And we celebrate freedom today. It's June 19th. And so Juneteenth is a, it's a historic day, but if we go back to the genesis of this day, it's a striking day at the same time because the victory had been won for freedom two and a half years prior. But it, it's almost as though it was hanging in the balance. The battle was over. The outcome had been determined. Freedom had been granted. But it wasn't until the word was declared, the word was received, and the word was lived out that freedom began to take root in our culture and in our nation. And James Chapter 125, the author says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is not talking about a governmental decision here, is he? No, he's talking about the freedom that is available for our hearts and our minds and our souls. And it's, it's interesting because many of us live imprisoned in areas that Christ has already given freedom. And it's sitting out there, just for example, last week Pastor Mark talked about, we well, kicked off our Rule of Life series and he talked about joy, remember this? And, and James just cuts right to it. And uh, I'll tell you what, Pastor Jamika was saying it this week, it's like James is from DC. Like what ward are you from? You just kind of talk like us. You're just poignant, straight to the point, like a little bit gangsta. Like, he just cuts right in, and he just says, consider it pure joy when you will face various trials of many kinds. And so Pastor Mark unpacked it. He said, joy is a choice. Your focus determines your reality. Embrace adversity. He said, there is no testimony unless you go through a test. And so he was, he was declaring 
a freedom of joy in our lives. Now, we've been taught the opposite. We've been taught when we're in adversity, or we should understand if we're in trial that we are held down. There is no joy in that season. They don't exist together. But God says, no, no, I give you joy in the midst of. Right smack dab in the middle of difficult situations, God desires to bring a freedom of joy into our lives. He wants to set those things free. We're going to go to James chapter 1, verse 19, and we're going to take this passage in three sections, and we'll start here in verse 19, and we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along with us. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The first rule of life today is this. The word of God unlocks giftings. God's word unlocks giftings. I think of a young lady who came to church five years ago, and she was in a desperate place, and she had a debilitating disease, and she would, she would come to the altar and get prayer each week, and she was she was seeking God, and she found faith in that season. And she ended up getting baptized. We gave her her first Bible, and she started reading the Word. And the Word got into her. And it was, it was in that season that in the middle of her trials, she found joy. And she found peace in the middle of one of the worst seasons of her life. Now, that didn't mean that joy was not accompanied by tears, right? We know how it goes. But there was something, there was a freedom of joy that was released in her. Joy was unlocked. Peace was unchained. And there was a victory of joy in her. Now, verse 21 says to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It's the aortus participle in the Greek, and it functions almost as an imperative. It's like this command, this push, this highlight. You've got to get rid of the moral filth in your lives, and some of us need a freedom in moral filth. Like, we're making some really bad decisions. We need to find freedom. We need to break some chains in that area. That's the step that we have to take, but as I read this, I, I, I see what James is doing. It's get rid of the moral filth so that God's giftings can come up in your life, right? When you got weeds all over the place and you drop a little bit of seed in there, doesn't have a chance, does it, right? You got to clear the path sometimes so that the seed can do what the seed is called to do. The seed is the word of God and something happens, faith wells up in us, doesn't it? When we clear the path, get rid of all moral filth and the seed of the word of God is planted in you so that long suffering can begin to, to rise up, so that the love of Christ can begin to come through our lives. Pastor Mark talked about your focus determines your reality. Her focus was Christ. Her reality was joy and it was peace. Her focus was Christ. You know what else her reality was? Her reality was healing. She found healing through her ailments. She got healed. In this house, she was healed. You know what else was her reality? The doctors said she could not have kids. Her reality is a couple of kids right now running around. So God, so she showed up here a couple of months ago. She moved away, 
And, but she showed up here to give thanks to God, to give testimony, to get a break from those kids. <laughs> and you know what else? To get her second Bible. Did we pop that picture up? You can see the Bible is worn down because the word of God sprouted up in her and God uses the, the word of God is planted within us. The word of God is a seed. I believe freedom comes through the seed of the word of God. There's a lot of seeds that we can put in our spirits and they don't all grow the same thing, do they? His word grows beautiful fruit. I love the way the message version says, verse 19, it says this, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the, in the rear. How great would our relationships be if we just got this tattooed on our forearm, right? This could really help, this is really good stuff. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. And here's the reality. Good listeners just makes good people, right? You're a good listener, you're going to be a good friend. If you're a good listener, you're going to be a good counselor. If you're a good listener, you're going to be a better employee. If you're a good listener, you're going to be a better boss. Listening just, it just amplifies. It makes our relationships better. But we tend to get in arguments and, and discussions, and what, what do we do? We jump to illusions, right? Not it, we go past the conclusion. We jump to illusions because we take that little thing that is said and we start running in our mind, don't we? And it's, it's uh, like when, I, when I'm listening, when I'm trying to listen, it's really hard to listen when I'm busy over here building my case against what the other person is saying and when I'm working on that perfectly crafted zinger, it's really hard to listen, isn't it? To discipline ourselves to listen is to seek to understand first instead of seeking to make my point and put the other person in their place. No, seek to understand. How do we know if we're doing that? Well, I know for me, it's a matter sometimes of evaluating, okay, is my response clarifying questions or is my response crafting an imperative statement? Ask questions. Take yourself to the former. Seek to understand. And then let anger straggle along in the rear. If I do identify a dominant emotion in our culture in this season, doesn't it feel like maybe anger would be a, a good contender right there? It just feels like vitriol is constant towards the other person, and, and hey, but sometimes, man, it feels good to let it rip, doesn't it? When you feel justified in your spirit, oh man, sometimes, and you just let it fly because you got a point that is good and a point that needs to be made, and you just let it rip sometimes, but here's what the scripture says. James says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. To be slow to angry or excuse me, to be slow to anger does not mean that we don't get angry, right? In fact, in the scriptures, we see points of anger, and we see Jesus turn those tables over, right? When, when they're turning the temple into something else, he knows it's a house of prayer, and so he gets a little bit angry, he turns some tables over. 
We also have to put that in the context of his life. I've probably heard that scripture quoted more than any other in the past couple of years. In the context of his life, that was a moment where he leaned in, but his context was love your enemies, love those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, give, a, give your shirt when your cloak is asked for. All these different principles, right? Go the extra mile. And so put it in the context. So there are moments that we lean into anger, but, but you know what? That, that shouldn't lead. That's not the place where we start. In fact, the scripture said, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is not wrong, but we've got to be careful. There's a warning that anger and sin are never really far apart. When we let anger take the lead, it takes over. It's giving the enemy a foothold. And here's the thing. Footholds turn into strongholds, don't they? You give the enemy an inch, he's going to take a mile. He's going to try to take over. When we live at the whims of our emotions, we become controlled by our emotions. And so James is exhorting us here to develop and cultivate self-control, to find freedom over our tongue, to find freedom over our anger. And that freedom comes through God's word planted in us. And so in this first section, we see that, that the word of God is described as a seed. The second section... The word of God is described as a mirror. Let's read it in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This word was used in Greek literature uh, for those who attended lectures but never joined the groups. We've got an English word for this, right? Audit, right? You ever audited a class? It's awesome, isn't it? Because you can go whenever you want. If you're auditing the class, you can, you can be a part of it, but you're not responsible to it. And so it's that, you know, you're sitting in the back row, you're eating your Cheetos, you're drinking your Coke, because you're free of the responsibilities, you're free of the assignment, you're free of the, the work that other people have to do. You can just go and take whatever you want out of that. And it feels really good. And then you get to the end of a semester and you realize, I don't think I learned anything in this class, right? <laughs> I did not get the heart of what this class was about. And here's the thing. You can't audit faith. You've got to practice. Faith becomes alive when you live it out on a daily basis. In fact, we're going to talk about, we're going to unpack that idea a little bit more next week. Nina's going to unpack that as we go further into the book of James next week. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So there's the perception that we have of ourselves and of who we are and then there's the reality of who we are and oftentimes there's a gap in between, isn't there? And it's that, you know, when you go out on that date. And you're out on the date and you're feeling pretty good. And things are going well. And the boyish charm, it's working. And the jokes are free flowing. And you got your Friday jeans on <laughs> on that day, right? And, and you're feeling good and, you know, She's, she's looking at you a little bit more intently. And all you're thinking is, that's right, I got it tonight. I'm on tonight. And, and so you go to dinner, you come back, and then you're in the car, and you, 
you take a quick peek in the mirror and flash the pearly whites. And it's not a piece of lettuce so much as the entire kale Caesar salad on your tooth, right? You ever had that moment? And, you, and it looks like you're missing a tooth, doesn't it? And you were thinking your perception of yourself was your suavite. Is that a word, Art? I don't know. Made up a word. I'm going. It's your suave. You think you are, you've got the suavite that night, but the reality is... She's been staring at that janky smile the whole night, just thinking about what's on your tooth, right? Sometimes there's a gap in our perception and reality. Now, let's be honest, after about 18 years, uh, when Nina points out that salad on my tooth now, it's like, man, how long can I keep this thing on here? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? I got some on my tooth? Where? Here? No? Here? And it just beca- I think that's more the dad in me, though, than it is the husband, right? By the way, happy Father's Day to our dads out there. And I'm just going to take a little sermon break for a second because I came across this thing, and I thought it was really funny. And there's a good chance none of you will think it's funny, but it was funny to me. And it was this little quiz. We're not going to take it. We're just going to pop it up here. But it's how dad are you? And I just found myself laughing because I thought of my dad, and I'm like, I do all those same things as well. It's like, why, when the door is left over from your house for a half a second, why do I have to say, are we trying to cool the whole neighborhood? Is that what we're doing? (laughs) When you're driving and you're going through town, and man, this, this town has terrible drivers, but it's any town that you drive through, you say the same thing, right? Why, when you're on the highway and you pass horses, horses, kids, you just have to say these these little things. Somebody goes out of the house and comes back in two seconds later because they forgot something. Hey, how was it? You're back already. Just these little goofy things about fathers that we all seem to have in common. Uh, But I'll tell you what. Yeah, take a look. Take a picture. and you You can go through those later and take your own quiz. I feel like my father taught me a lesson that applies here well, though, and it's this. You are what you do, not what you'll say you do. Talk is cheap, right? Where's the action? If you show up, okay, that's who you are, not if you say you're going to be around. By the way, this is a really big deal for dads. We got to show up. And the statistics show it's true. And the impact shows that it's true. When you see some of the challenging statistics that that 90% of kids who are runaways, who are homeless, are from a fatherless home. When 71% of kids that drop out of school are from a home without a dad. When, When there's no dad in the home and And teenage girls are seven times more likely to experience teenage pregnancy. And the list goes on and on. The the studies show how big of an impact, dads, that you have on your kids and on your homes. This is a big deal job for us, isn't it? And so some of us dads, hey, we're doing it. We're pressing in. And I just want to encourage you today, today, keep going. What you're doing has a big time impact. And for some of us dads, you know, maybe we've missed it. We've messed up. 
Maybe, maybe it's been in the past. Maybe right now we're not stepping into that role that God has given to us. Hey, it's not too late to be who you might have been. Step in and be the father that God desires you to be. And so I just bless you today with God's anointing to step into this role, to lean in, be encouraged with the goodness of God. He has given you strength and courage to step up and be the father that God has called you to be. So we bless you today. Thank you for your role. We thank the fathers. We thank you, the, the grandfathers. We thank the father figures in our life, right? Those who have filled roles. And I lost my father at a younger age. And you know what? Different people have stepped into those roles. Dick Foth is not my father, but he's played a role at certain moments. Uncle Ed, not my dad, but he's played a role in certain moments and different people. We thank those who have played those roles in our lives. And we honor you today on Father's Day. It's stepping in. And acting out that which we want to live. It's acting out those beliefs. Orthodoxy without orthopraxy. It's called hypocrisy. Orthodoxy, correct belief without orthopraxy, correct conduct, is hypocrisy. In faith, some would subscribe to easy believism. Which is, okay, if you believe that Jesus is God, you're good to go and you're heaven bound. And, but there's easy, easy believism versus lordship salvation. Coming to God and, and submitting, surrendering. our Because here's the thing. The scripture says that even the demons believe that Jesus is God. Lordship salvation. We're coming to God and we're saying, God, I surrender myself. You are master over all of my life. A New Testament disciple was not just somebody who heard the message. It was a person who heard the rabbi talk. And then a disciple was somebody who took that teaching and took that life and went out and tried to live it and emulate it in their own walk, in their daily walk. Here's the thing about this scripture. It's not just saying that the mirror points out your weakness. It's also saying that the mirror shows us what's right. In fact, it says when you walk away and you forget what was in the mirror, that's when things go wrong. That's when you do what is wrong. You forget what you look like. In other words, you do wrong when you forget who you are. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 about King David and Mephibosheth. One of the hardest names for me to say in the scripture. <laughs> Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, who is the son of former King Saul. And so when Jonathan passes away, David comes to this house to pay respects. And Mephibosheth, uh, he grew up in very early age, uh, he became lame. And so for the majority of his life, he was crippled. And so he saw himself a certain way. And so when King David comes to pay respects, at his, at his house, it says this in verse 8. says that he bowed down and said, Mephibosheth says this, he bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should come notice a dead dog like me? He didn't see himself as God saw him. He saw himself in a different light. He had a distorted view of himself. It's like when you go to Cox Farm Anybody down in Virginia in the harvest time, you go down to Cox Farm and they have all these different mirrors in the corn maze, you know? 
and one of them makes you look really skinny, and we stay there. A lot of people, that's the, cl- the crowded one. The other one makes you look really big. Nobody ever goes to that one, and there's the, the curvy one, and, and they're, they give you a distorted view of self, right? It takes what is real and gives you a false image, and we see here a false image had come about, and his view of self was based on his disability. And King David comes into the picture, and he didn't see that view of him. No, he came to pay his respects because he was coming to a grandson of the king. Last week, right here on this stage, we had Anthony Richards come, and he's the executive director of Teen Challenge Jamaica, and he shared a testimony. Remember this? He shared about Wesley, and Wesley had gone astray, and he had ended up in in addiction, uh, to crack cocaine and for decades had been making bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision. He had left his family. All that thing was behind. He was going the wrong direction. He forgot what he looked like. He forgot who he was. And then he came to Teen Challenge Jamaica and something clicked. And he got right with God. He found faith. And for 18 months, he has been sober. He has left that stuff behind. And in fact, when we were there a number of months ago, he got baptized in the ocean. We got to be a part of that moment. It was this awesome, incredible moment. But when you talk to Wesley, it's so cool because he's connecting the dots. He's reconnecting with family. And he talks about who he is in God. And, who, and his name, he was named after John Wesley. So he's reconnecting. He's remembering who he was and now who he is. In fact, JD on our team, he prophetically gave him the shirt off his back which said this, son of a king. So he's walking around wearing this shirt, son of a king. Don't forget who you are. Mephibosheth was stuck in his self-pity, but David came and he saw him and he saw who he truly was and he invited him to sit at the royal table because he reminded him who he was and who he is When we don't live in the word of God, we end up with a distorted view of ourselves, untrue and inaccurate to who God made us to be, who he has called us to be, and who he sees us, how he sees us. We find ourselves captive, though, to the carnival mirror, don't we? We look in the wrong mirrors. The scripture is a mirror. The enemy wants us to keep focused on our inabilities or our lack of opportunities. He wants to see ourselves as the victim, whereas God has called us what? Overcomers. We pronounced it right on this stage on Thursday night at prayer meeting. We are overcomers. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter what your adversity that you are facing, you are an overcomer. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled faces, listen to this, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It says that we are the glory of the Lord. When we look into the mirror, we're not just seeing that piece of salad on our teeth, right? We're seeing as though we are we're seeing the true stuff because the mirror is the scripture. and we see, So we see who we are, the righteousness of God. We are the glory of God. Look into the word and let the word speak to you. But here's the thing. The word is activated in you 
when you began to go out and live out that scripture. Had a moment of revelation, of transformation with one of my kids in serving because we had an opportunity to serve. They didn't want to serve, but they decided with help to serve. <laughs> and so they served, and we got to the end of the day, and I love it. We sat down, and they were sharing, Dad, like that, that was, I feel really good about myself. I'm really tired, but I, re, I feel really good about myself. And we talked through this, and it was this moment of recognition. And here's the reality. It wasn't a sermon that activated that word in them. Now, the sermon inspired them, but they took that inspiration, and they had to activate it then. When we get in the word in the morning, we get inspired, but we've got to go out from that word and then activate it. And it's upon activation, it's upon acting it out that God brings a new perception of self to our minds and he activates the word inside of us. His word is a seed, his word is a mirror, activating and help us, helping us to see ourselves as he sees us. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceives themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Holiness, it's not a fundamental separation from society, but instead an involvement in the needs of the poor and the outcasts. Religion is about personal purity and practical service. This past week, we hosted a listen and learn event at the DC Dream Center. And we got to hear local legends, uh, Miss Tina Henderson and Miss Tammy Phillips. And they shared all over the place. They shared their story, but it, it was amazing. And to hear Miss Tina talk about, she was at the March on Washington. And in fact, it was her birthday on Tuesday. She's 78 years old. She was at the March on Washington. She got to hear Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, uh, I Have a Dream speech live. So she shared about that. But then they also talked about some different moments in their life that, that they dealt with hurt and sadness. And they were upset. And they had some strong emotions coursing through their veins. And they talked about those moments. And it was interesting to hear them talk about those because... They had them, but they didn't just stop there and dwell and allow those things to become something else. No, they took those, and they are women who have the word of God inside them. And so in those emotions, they began to allow God to funnel those into a direction. They allowed God to funnel their emotions into an assignment, into a calling. And so for Miss Tammy, uh, she was... she got upset because young black boys in her community were starting to disappear and end up in prison consistently. And so she started to engage in prison ministry. And then she started to write letters and become pen pals. And she started doing all these things to the point where she said, the neighbors kind of thought I was a little bit weird because I was so fixated and focused on this. But this has become an assignment for her because she allowed those emotions to be funneled into direction and God to lead her. And the word of God is coming out there. Miss Tina is known in the Penn Branch community. She is known because she cares about the young people of the, community, of the community. And she has tough love for those who are in the community. And she is invested in those 
young people. And throughout the community, they see her as a mom. I would say grandma, but she looks, she's 78 going on 35. She looks so young. And she's just got life in her. And so they're taking these things and they're allowing God to use them in a specific direction, in a specific assignment God is pouring out through them. You know what they're doing? They're criticizing by creating. They're getting active with their faith. They're investing in their community. And they both shared feelings of being overwhelmed, even recently through certain activities or events that have happened around them. But when confronted with challenge, you identify your assignment, you're faithful to show up, and you let God do the work. And they've seen freedom over hurts in their own hearts. They've seen freedom over hurts in the hearts of those that they minister to and they care for. And they realize the word of God can set us free. Can I just speak that over us today? Can I just end right here? I want to invite the worship team to come. The word of God can set you free. Declare his word. Receive his word. Live out his word. And so I just speak it right now, God. I speak freedom over this house and over every listener. I speak freedom in areas of expectation. I speak freedom, God, in areas of addiction. Lord, I speak freedom in areas of physical ailments. Lord, we speak freedom over others' opinions. God, I I speak freedom that you will also release, Father, those things that have held captive. Release those things in the same way. God, release the giftings and the fruit of the Spirit, I ask. I speak freedom right now over joy in you. I speak freedom over, over faith inside of you. I speak freedom over power in you. I speak freedom over that assignment, over that calling, over belief, over God's goodness. I speak freedom over us today. We declare your word today. And now, God, in worship, as we take a few moments... We just submit and surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.